It's Thursday, December 20th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 503 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. Okay, so we got most of the recording studio back. It's still not quite there, but we've got most of it set up. We're recording in my place now, and uh, so we're, this is kind of a live sound check. We did a sound check prior to recording, but this is our first attempt at actually doing an episode here. The actual plays have been here, but they use a different mic and setup, so uh, this is our first attempt. So if this is a little bit off, just bear with us as we sort through it. But It's weird. I mean, so like the square table, I think, was a little lower. Than this or something, the mics just don't feel right. Well, once I get that bookcase stood up and the desk set up in there, we'll be back on the square table because I do still have that. It's just it's not quite ready to go yet since some of the furniture got a little bit dinged up in shipping, so I'm getting some replacement parts and whatever. Just no big deal. Just some things we're sorting through. So all right, but we are at least approaching normal recording again here. So let's get down to it. We are going to talk about hating correctly. <laughs> which is not at all related and i'm being serious here not facetious not at all mm. related to our pre-show discussion we were having about the writings of mark twain <laughs> that would be a very very different wow. sort of episode mm-hmm. no we're talking about what do you do or how do you play it correctly when two player characters have good reason to dislike each other but maybe it's even written in their background it's maybe written in their backgrounds it's maybe something that comes up during the game In fact, I think it's harder to handle if it occurs during the game than if it's a design part of the character. But there is an understanding amongst the players that there's two things you're trying not to do here. You're not trying to be disruptive to the plot, nor are you trying to divide the party. You want to have a good, functional, forward-moving game that's not about intra-group conflict, that's not about the players having World War III with each other, but you just want it to be such that two players are on opposite sides of a line or one player is from a sci-fi and one player is from Mm -hmm. a race that wiped out another. You want to have a Star Trek game and you have both a Bajoran and a Cardassian in the party together. And both of them are loyalists to their own nations and they hate each other. And if you've not watched DS9 or whatever, it was a two races that were effectively a near genocidal war with each other. But whatever it is, you have two characters that by all rights should be at odds with each other. How do you play that in such a way as to not be disruptive to the game, but still tell that story? And let's start with the presupposition that this happened at character creation. So you entered the game with two characters. They're on the opposite sides of a line. We'll come back to what happens if this occurs during the game. I can say this is also really risky. I've seen this go bad where it basically splits the party where half the party is with one character, half the party is with the other, and they don't even want to be in the same place together. Hmm. And that, as a GM, that kind of kills your game. There's nothing wrong with the concept that's bad players. Because as a player, you control your characters. And there is a certain amount of, well, why did your character do this? Well, that's what my character does. Like, take my character Gil from the Saw game. Why is Gil an ass? Why did why did Gil do this horrible thing? Well, Gil's an asshole. That's what his thing is. But the things that Gil does that make him an asshole, I choose 
to have him not do things that will disrupt the game. I do things that bully and annoy because he's an annoying bully, but I can make that choice. Now, somebody can choose to play Gil and say, well, well, we have this plan and in this plan, we got to do this thing and they have Gil go and do it. And, but he just does it wrong and messes it up because ha 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 you. That's disruptive. The same thing is true for two people whose characters dislike each other. If you play that out as disruptive like okay we're we're bank robbers we're in the middle of a bank robbery and then they just start getting into this pissy slap match in the middle of telling everybody to get down and you got to get out before the cops come but they're busy slapping each other that's not dramatic tension that's just annoying i think the concept is really good it's a very good powerful tool because in literature and in storytelling your characters have to have a conflict. There has to be a tension. There has to be a conflict, not just something that the game master has a button to press, but something that, that just makes your character more interesting. And the struggle makes them interesting is I guess what I'm trying to say. I have seen characters that don't have any tension. They don't have any struggle and everything is always turning up aces for them. That's just boring. It is just boring. And what do you do with that as a game master? And God, what do you do with that as a player except just win, win, win all the time? But I think that having tension with another player who's in on it is a really good tool to add conflict into your character, into both characters, because it draws them together and it creates that conflict. It creates role-playing situations that they can bounce off one another. It also creates role-playing situations that the other people in the group can get in on. To say, you know, pull a guy aside. Why do you hate this person so much? And, well, blah, blah, blah. And here's some revealing about my history and my history with them. And here's some things you don't know. And, well, and there's a role-play right there. Chad, there's a concept you're talking about there, which ties into one of the things that I hate most as a phrase that's come out of role-playing games, mm -hmm. which is, well, that's my character. Right. Or people who behave as if, and I, game masters can do this as much as players, mm -hmm. but we're bagging on players this particular right. episode. Game masters are great. But where players act like they're a victim of their character, mm -hmm. and you are not a victim of your character, where they say, yeah. well... I realize this is going to be utterly disruptive to the game and utterly disruptive to the party and screw everyone's enjoyment, but that's what my character would do. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Suck it. That is, right. that's, <laughs> you are not a victim of your character. Nobody handed you a script and said, you have to do these things, mm -hmm. that this is the line you have to deliver here. This is the action you have to do. Yes, I realize people want to stay true to their character, and that's a good thing. Hell, our last episode right. was about the importance of staying true to your character. Well, let me but, hit you with this. But part Isn't of it a greater challenge as a player to say, well, yes, my character would do this disruptive thing. But how can I play my character in character, do the thing, and not be disruptive? Let's go real life. Dan is a homebody who very much prefers playing video games to going to work. <laughs> I still have a job okay right. there's still <laughs> yeah. a paycheck coming in i do things that are counter to my character because of the fact that my character is nuanced because each moment of my life and each decision is not defined by who i am but rather is interpreted by who i am right and so i can look at these things and say well even though i prefer 
staying in bed and playing video games to having a job that I also have a mortgage to pay and other things. I have other desires here. You love here. to eat so you don't die. Precisely. <laughs> I've become very, very fond of caloric intake. Right. And you know, people always do things that are out of character for them. Sure. Mm-hmm. And It's called living in a society. Yeah. It, has, <laughs> has no one in your life ever surprised you for good or bad? Right. I mean, I have to believe this is something that happens where you fully expect somebody's going to behave one way and they do something against their norm because they've mm-hmm. got other things going on in yeah. their head. See, that's where I liked your idea, Chad, of uh, here's why the character did it, but it's not disruptive. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of that, though, and thinking it's an opportunity. My character didn't do that. Why didn't why? my character do that? Exactly. And that's easier. I'll put yeah. it. I'm not yeah. going to say it's better. Right. It's easier to come up with the why didn't my character do that mm-hmm. than how do I make that not actually disruptive? Yeah. Well, and I'll I'll give people who've never run a game a little tip. You do something that's out of character, and you might think it's really lame to come up with what you would term as an excuse of why your character did this thing out of character after they did it. It might seem cheesy to you. That is a very important Game Master tool. We do yeah. it all the time. We have our NPCs and our whole plots do things that are out of character that we manipulate and change the plot and change their in their characters to interpret to the players of this is why they did this. Yes. Every time players throw player logic, like I broke into your house and I'm stealing things and now you're pointing a gun at me. You're an asshole. Right. I have to sit back and think, why doesn't this person shoot them in the head? Yeah. And come up with a legitimate reason internally for me that the person accepts that the player's mm-hmm. player logic being an asshole to them. Yeah. <laughs> so Maybe I am an asshole for defending my stuff. I know, right? How dare you? There is a story that I think does a great job of illustrating for one angle of how this can work. And it's a movie that's based on a novella, mm-hmm. which probably many people listening are familiar with, which is called Enemy Mine. And Enemy Mind, which is a remake, it appears at least to be a remake. It is absolutely a remake <laughs> of a of a movie called Hell in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And what both of these are about is pilots from opposite sides of a conflict crash on the same place and are forced to rely on each other to survive, and in the process overcome language barriers and culture barriers and ultimately become friends. In Enemy Mind, it's a war between the human race mm-hmm. and an alien race, and in Hell in the Pacific, it's an American pilot and a Japanese pilot. Yeah, or, or a Japanese soldier. I think it's a Navy, Japanese Navy officer, but yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, American versus Japanese. Yes, yeah, an American and Japanese in the middle of World War mm-hmm. II. And so here you have in both scenarios, in one, it's an island, a Hell in the Pacific, mm-hmm. and the other, it's a planet that they crash on that I don't think there's anyone else there but some scavengers, and even they don't come up until later in the story. But... In both the stories, you have people that, by all rights, ought to hate each other. If we were to look at this as a role-playing game, you have a party that consists of an orc, a full-blown orc, not a half-orc, not a cultured orc. This is a straight-off of the Goblinoid Marches orc Mm. and an elf who comes straight from elf tree (laughs) along the elf coast, whose people are migrating out to sea to the east for no particular reason, because they did it in Tolkien. And... It's just better, Dan. Sure. And you have these two characters in a party together. That's what this is. And yet, in both cases, a meaningful story comes out of it where the two characters ultimately pull together 
instead of creating a disjointed conflict. This is mm-hmm. not a story about the two of them from start to finish stalking each other around the island trying to kill each other. Yeah. I mean, that might uh, be. They certainly start out that sure, way. Sure, they certainly start out that way. Well, it's not the, like they land and say, hey, we're the only two here. Let's start making out. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the things I just like funny about Nailing in Enemy Mind, the guy gets pregnant. Yeah, actually does because yeah. they're. <laughs> oh, spoilers. Oh, my God. It's like yeah, a 30 year old movie. Yeah, it was late <laughs> so, 70s. One of the things I 80s. like about that type of story, because I've seen it done many, many times mm-hmm. since then. At that point, when the two characters have come together, there's probably no happy ending because if the rescue party comes for one of them, they're going to kill the other. Mm-hmm. The rescue party comes for the other. They're going to kill them one, yeah. or they're taken prisoner. Well, that comes. That's up, the part that, of, that comes up. And that's the part of the stories. And mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Enemy Mind, but I've right. like I said, I've heard the story, mm-hmm. read the story, watched the story many, many times, and that's part of it that I like the exploration of is at that point when they've come together to be friends. It's now them against the universe, and yeah. one person's rescue is the other person's death. So, And therein, I think, lies an opportunity for the players to actually create something of a better emergent story. Because when you put it very well, let's take Enemy Mine as an example. I believe in that one, the humans show up first. Yep. And the humans take the alien prisoner and are going to probably... No. No? No, no uh, because he dies. He dies in childbirth, and he raises the human raises the kid. Right. Okay. But I and then the I the humans might come, but by the end of it, the human takes the kid to the alien planet to his people. Right. But I thought before that, and it's been a while since I've seen the movie. But I thought mm-hmm. before that, at one point, the humans had the alien captured, or maybe it was the alien kid. I captured, think it was like some scavenger. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the human military, it but yeah. he had to free. He had to fight an alien. Yeah, he had to, to fight, fight his own side. Yes. To free and they were slavers too. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. A, it was not a, a pretty story, but it wasn't supposed to be. Right. But it creates a bond that is deeper because of the fact that it transcends where they started. Because mm-hmm. these characters are growing. So at the start of it, they don't know each other. They don't understand each other. They see each other as this object, this vile enemy that is simply an object of hatred and an object of anger and whatever. But as the story goes on their characters, God forbid, grow and develop mm-hmm. until they actually care more about each other than they do about the sides that they came from. Well, I think you're getting at there, Dan, is something that, that I've kind of been thinking about on this topic. And it's if you go about it, like if Wayne and I make two characters and in the creation of the characters, we're like, hey, let's have these guys be in conflict somehow. Let, you know, We're part of a larger group, but let's have these guys not like each other. And, and we describe how and why we make a whole history about it. And it's really deep and it's cool and stuff. And we have lots of ways that we can interact about it. You know, I can bring things up and you can bring things up and we, we could set the escalation level and that sort of thing. But one thing that I would highly recommend that Wayne and I do in this situation that I would recommend anybody do is you program in during the creation of the conflict before the game even starts a path to peace. Like, I would look at Wayne like, okay, we have all this conflict and all this history, and this is why they're doing this, and this is what they do. How do they, how do they not do this anymore? Yeah, let's yeah. take a good old simple D&D example. We're about to play a D&D game, and Wayne and Chad come to my table, and they each have a character. What edition? Because that's important. Sure. <laughs> but one of you is lawful good, and the other's chaotic evil. So not fifth. <laughs> no, fifth has alignments. Fifth has alignments. They just don't matter. Yeah. Which is great. They don't matter as much, at any rate. <laughs> But you, you come to the table and you have characters who on paper I know hate each other. Mm-hmm. One of your characters is lawful good, the other is chaotic evil. One follows a good god, one follows an evil god. How dare you, Wayne? 
Chad, I think what you're getting at, and this is where I was working toward, if not a bit clumsily, is there has to be a session zero level awareness of what's going on. Mm -hmm. When you sit down to make the characters and to make the party, whether you're doing a group template or any stuff we normally do or not, but when people bring these characters to the table, I think it is incumbent upon the players, not the players, and certainly the game master has an ability to step in here and say, okay, there's obvious conflict brewing here. Right. There's obvious problems here. What's going on? How are you guys going to keep this from dividing the rest of the party? Now, if this is supposed to be a game where there's all kinds of intra-party conflict, Mm -hmm. or that's the game or the story that your players enjoy, or that's the purpose of the story you're telling, great. But we're presupposing it's not, because if that's what you're going for, this is all irrelevant. Right. Just like if you want your car because stolen. Because your whole session zero is about that yeah. with the group. Right. So yeah. the party falling apart is your intention. Yeah. If you want to get in a car wreck, I have a lot less advice for you than if you don't. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it's the same sort of thing here. But let's say for a minute you don't want to get in a car wreck. Mm-hmm. You want to drive drunk on ice and not wreck your car in the process. Or maybe it's a whole group of people who get along great and just don't to decide. Yeah, and the other people are just passengers in the back that don't want to die on the way to the bowling alley. <laughs> right. Because the two people in front are drunk and driving on ice while arguing. Mm-hmm. And if we look at this, there has to be an awareness from session zero that this is part of our reality. Now, we don't need to script it all. Mm-hmm. But, oh, absolutely not. And, yeah. and I think to script it is to create its own problems. But we don't have to script this. But how are we going to handle this in such a way that the players and the party and the characters and the plot and everything still moves forward in a productive way? What type of concessions are we willing to make? I think the first thing is both characters have to want the same thing. Yeah. There has to be. I cannot decide for Wayne that my character and his character are going to hate each other. That's unfair to the players. But I think at the character level, they need the same goal. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at getting their different ways, but yeah. they're Hell, both Hell in the Pacific and yeah. Enemy Mine. In both places, the primary characters have fundamentally the same goal, which is they want to survive, they want mm-hmm. to get home, and they do not want to be alone in the process. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of tension and a lot of drama surrounding that, but they have fundamentally the same yeah. reasons. In the same way, you could take a lawful good paladin of Torm and a chaotic mm-hmm. evil follower, follower of Bane. Yes, I'm a uh, pre-Time of Troubles guy. And they could be in the same party if both of them agree that they don't want some super evil trans-dimensional race to come in and take everything over. Or they don't want a particular city to fall for whatever reason. You know, you can work that out in the characters. But they have something they agree upon. There is something about them. Time of Troubles is about to happen. Both of them don't want their gods to to go away. They have a similar... Don't yeah. worry, fellow listener. I, too, do not know what the Time of Troubles are, <laughs> nor do I care. The Time of Troubles is... No, we don't care. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, let's put it this way. They both have a MacGuffin that right. they both need sure. somebody else to not get. They can mm-hmm. agree on a limited set of goals and values. And I think that's part of what we have to look right. at here, is the characters in both of these stories well, we've referenced... It, it gets back to the whole idea of a group template. Why are you together? Group template does not care if you hate each other or like each other. Why are you together? Why are you staying together? Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what the the essence of the group template is. Sure. And I can sit down with people in real life with whom I have radically divergent values, politically, religiously, mm-hmm. whatever. And we can still get along just fine as friends or coworkers or whatever, because we have other values and other parts of our character or personality that we do agree upon. 
and we can find a way forward based on those things. Well, and to kind of stir the pot here a little bit, though, you're talking about coworkers and friends and stuff, and we have the same values and we can agree to get along to do these things. And, and that's absolutely great and correct and right. And from a group template standpoint, that's what you're doing. But the whole point of putting in tension is to not be cordial. Sure. You know, ge- genealogy and cordialness and politeness. When you're making this, you got to throw that out the window. You might be a nice person, but you're not being nice because you hate them or you don't like them or something is motivating you to be negative towards this other person. And I think that's important because I think that when people do like a group template or start talking about this or start going on this, you can have a game master or even other players or even the players, two players themselves who are like so concerned about making this not a bad thing is that there is conflict in name only. Yeah, it's a non-issue. Yeah, the conflict has to have a sting. It has to actually matter. Otherwise, what it is like is saying, Dan, I want this advantage, which is going to be like equivalent to an interesting situation. So I'm willing to take the disadvantage of uh, my character is blue-green colorblind. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Unless there's going to be like the ultimate MacGuffin to disarm the bomb is blue or green. It does not matter. And I think what I would put into the mix there is that boundaries and nuance are not the same as completely erasing something's relevance or erasing its bite. That this thing can still have bite that doesn't kill. Mm -hmm. It can still have bite without venom. And so I, I think there is a middle ground you have to walk there where... Yes, you want there to be conflict. You want Mm -hmm. there to be the drama. But you have at the same time a sensitiveness to when this is going to a point of no return for the game master, for the other players, for the plot, or even the person you're in conflict with. Because I've also seen this go off the rails where two people want their characters to be in conflict with and they both start off cool with it until it starts to get a bit too real. Or somebody gets a little butthurt over something that was said or done or it starts to change their enjoyment of the game, or the conflict gets too well, real. And so here's a setup I've always wanted to see happen in, we'll say, a D&D game. But I see the potential for it going bad like you're describing. I've always wanted to see either two clerics or a cleric or a paladin that have different gods. And both of them believe that theirs is the end-all, be-all, that's the part when you worship. And it's a competition between the two, but not the friendly... I healed two people. I healed three people. More, both characters are trying to convert the rest of the party. <laughs> In the beginning, that could be a lot of fun. You play it up. But what if one of them is successful? And suddenly, you created these characters with that in mind, and now you have a party of five. Four of them are worshiping one person, and the other guy's the odd man out. Mm-hmm. They don't want that anymore. Well, there are some things I think the game master and the other players can do to avoid exacerbating the situation. In that certain situation that you just described, Letting them have a friendly competition or even a not-so-friendly competition is one thing. But if I have Torm show up in the Paladin's dream and say, you need to kill that Cleric of Bane because he's terrible and evil. And and the Cleric of Bane. And Cleric of Bane. I mean, he is terrible and evil. These aren't exaggerations. I've just kind of made the problem a whole lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have now created a, a dilemma for this character where they have to screw something. Now, it could, if you have really good players and this sort of enemy mine hell over the pacific thing has been baking for a long time 
let's do the hell of the Pacific scenario here in gaming of they hate each other. They want to kill each other and they kind of needed each other. And then they kind of started working together because they had to. And then they kind of started trusting each other and then they became friends and they're really good role players and you really trust them a lot. And then you have Torm come in at that point. Sure. That's really cool. Yeah. As long as the Torm player doesn't wake up and go, Oh, thank God. Where's my sword? Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> and if you can trust them not to do that, then that makes for some very interesting play. One of the things that I think that players can do now, again, we're, we're the scenario here is we have a group, we have a group, of five, right. six people, whatever. And there's two people who want to have this tension. A couple of pieces of advice I would give is a, don't overthink it too much. Have your attention provide real bite don't script the whole thing out yet also define a path to peace or friendship or at least coexistence some point later on in the campaign, some path they could walk if things get too much. The third piece of advice I would give is why keep it to two people have two characters. Wayne and myself are making characters that are going to have this tension. Dan is a player and we're like, Dan, we need an es- a- escape valve. We made this really cool background and stuff, but the path we see forward for them really puts knives to each other's throats. And we don't quite want to go that high, yet we don't want to just in the background really like it. Can we integrate your character into our background and you're, you're freaking Switzerland? You're the guy who comes in when we get going too much and it says, whoa, 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 ladies, you're both pretty. And can get us to like, it's like you, that corner, you, that corner. It's great. It is really good because now you have integrated another player in the game into a shared history. You have created an escape valve with the tension gets too high and creates role-playing situations. Because you get in your corner, you get into your corner. Now I'm going to talk to Chad's character. Now I'm going to talk to Wayne's character. And then that's role-playing. Have you ever heard of the relationship dynamic concept of fighting fair and i'm not talking like in the sense like boxing or something like not hit below the belt or yeah i'm mean, actually in a way it is kind of what it means marcus there's, of queensberry rules there's a an idea that whenever you're talking about like uh relationship management and this could be work marriage whatever there's a concept of fighting fair and what fighting fair means is that Yes, you're fighting, and maybe you even have good reason to fight. You're, if nothing else, you're fighting because you have different opinions. You're human. People mm-hmm. get worked up. This is a part of human relationships. If you have two people that never fight, they either have a perfect relationship or they really don't communicate all that meaningfully. Right. Or one of them's a pushover or something. But the point being, you cannot get strong personalities together, never have some kind of a disagreement or a fight. But the idea is that you become consciously aware of the fact that while you're there in that moment, you don't get blackout angry. Mm-hmm. You fight in a way that is keeps in mind that you still care about this other person. Yes, you may be fighting for something, but ultimately you don't want to lose a relationship in the process. And as a result, you're not going to go scorched earth or broaden the conflict. So I'm going to stick to certain subjects. I'm not going to drag up things from 20 years ago. I'm not going to put you on the defensive over completely unrelated crap. I'm not going to call you names. There are certain things we're going to adhere to in the course of this to try and get through this fight in one piece. Now, I don't know if those rules are as easy to set forth in a role-playing game, 
because of the fact that perhaps where the characters start and maybe where they remain through the entire game may be at a point where fighting fair doesn't make sense. Maybe they really do hate each other in some deeper way, but I think you can reach a fair fighting agreement between the players. So in the same way that I, as a game master, might ask the players, are there themes you want me to avoid? What's your opinion on character death in this game? I can set some boundaries on what I do as a game master to not alienate my players. And in the same way, I think the players ought to talk to each other and say, okay, what's the point at which this is starting to get too real? Or this is starting to go from character to character and becoming player to player? Or what is something that you would do to me, or I wouldn't want you to do to me, so we can avoid this escalating to where, okay, you stole my this, so now I'm going to steal your that, but that's a sacred item, so now you have to kill me. And <laughs> this is, I mean, can we just not get there in the first place? Yeah. And I think keeping a conscious awareness of the fact that, as I said before, you're not a victim of your, your character. Mm-hmm. But don't set yourself up for failure. And that is both in the zero game sort of talk of how are we going to do this productively Chad, as you Mm -hmm. suggested, do we need a Switzerland character in here or somebody that has ties to both of us, a neutral party? And also, what are the boundaries we are going to put on this conflict as a gentleman's agreement or a lady's agreement or whatever to keep this from becoming too big of a deal, to keep this from becoming we've gone from yelling at each other or slightly undermining each other to now we are actually attempting to kill each other and the Mm -hmm. whole game has gone off the rails. Yeah. As a game master, if two if two players approached me and said, hey, we want to do this, I would just have a couple of questions in that, that session zero, which would be how high of a tension level are you planning on taking this? If like a zero or one is why are we even bothering bringing this up and a 10 is you murder suicide each other, what is, what is going to be the maximum that you two are willing to go on a meta level? Not saying that I'd shoot any of those numbers down, except maybe 10, but the uh, just so that I would know and I would plan. And then I would say, are you guys just having this tension because your characters are jerks? Or do you have like a shared history that has led up to this? And if you do, I want to hear it. If you have a shared history that leads up to this, you're getting a yes from me. If your tension level is at an acceptable level for the game and a comfortable level for the rest of the party... You're getting a yes from me. And I would I would ask, is there a path to peace? Doesn't have to be. But if there is, no. that's gonna get a yes out of me. And what's your release valve? Do you have a Switzerland? Or how do you guys stop the escalation? What is the mechanic, the the conceptual mechanic that allows one to walk away? Think about how awesome it would be to bring this let's say you and I bring this to Dan. Mm-hmm. We want tension in our characters. I believe his father killed my father. <laughs> he believes that my father killed his father. In reality, ne- neither story happened, and we want that to be revealed during the game. Yeah. We hate each other. We have to work together. And at some point, we find out that everything we believed about the other was completely wrong. That, as a game master, I think that would be the final question of, okay, you've answered these other questions. Now, what are the plot hooks you're going to give me that allow yep. me to press the buttons on this tension. Yeah, and I just think we should stress something here, which it does not have to be that the end goal of all this is the conflict disappears or gets remediated. Yeah. That's a great outcome. That's a great story. Peace but or murder does not have to be the only choice. Precisely. Yeah. It does this does not have to end 
with everyone being friends and singing Kumbaya. This can end with the same tension in place that was there from the start. You just have to get through the story in a productive and non-disruptive way. And when I say non-disruptive, I don't mean 100% easygoing. I just mean you're not screwing up the game for the game master and the other players. And so I, I think that's where I'd put it is if you're working towards resolution, great. But even if that resolution never occurs, you can still get a workable game. Now, there's two things that I would point to related concepts that I think can help here that are in the Game Master's Toolkit. One is what I'm going to call negative threat management. This is drawing threat down. All right, so to draw threat down, I can do things like say, all right, Game Master to player, not Game Master mm-hmm. character. Let's tone this down a bit. Yeah, It's cool what you guys are doing, but this is starting to take the game off the rails or whatever. You're overshadowing the other players. Yeah, You're overshadowing the story. You're, Every time we go into town, it's you two are slapping each other. Yeah, can we dial this back yeah. a bit? It's getting to be a bit monotone and boring. I might even look at the players involved and say, you know what? I love you, but the line between your character and the player, mm-hmm. you're just not that sort of role player. There, this is going to get real too yeah, fast. There is definitely an, an issue of you have got to know your players. I'm not really one who says, oh, this is dangerous and this could cause all these problems. I'm I'm very much go, go, go. Let's do it. Yes. But we can both think of people that yeah, it really is dangerous because they don't have that line. Yeah, there are people who the character they play is effectively themselves, their history their names, what they are, what they do is not them, but their play is effectively them. And that's totally okay because we're playing a game where people get to escape and do cool stuff and that's acceptable. But if that person gets really mad then that because there's no line there, are they getting mad? Are their character getting mad? Yeah. Are they and, both getting mad? And it's not going to be a very high bar. Now they're bar. directing that at a player. Exactly. Yeah. For some of these people, it's not going to be a high bar or a long throw right. before this has become a personal offense. This has become a player-to-player, mm-hmm. not a character-to-character conflict. And I, like you guys, I can think of several people mm-hmm. yeah. where I'm not real sure I'd be comfortable with this. Yeah, Chad and I aren't those type of players. Right. I know... My character can t- look at Chad's character and call him an idiot. Mm-hmm. And Chad will never have to think about it in question. Is he calling me an idiot or my character an idiot? <laughs> well, I know I'm not an idiot. And I know yeah. Wayne's a smart guy. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's something I know we could easily do. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of people I couldn't do that with. Well, and I think what helps us. And I think that if somebody's thinking about doing this, part of the fun of this is an acceptance of failure. Because if you're the type of person who can never fail, their characters can never fail, and again, we've we've played with people like this, then that means that when you get into this conflict with another person and you start having a fight, then it's a competition. And if you're the type of person where you can't lose, I'm arguing with Wayne's character, the argument will never stop because I cannot lose. Yeah, if you're a sore loser yeah. or a bad you, winner, this yeah. is not for you, you. Yeah, you can't do that. You have to win sometimes. And that's great when you, ha ha, I finally showed that jerk hole Bane worshiper. But other times you have to, you know, kind of suck it up, say, I may be a paladin of Torm, but what you just said was just, you're still a jerk, but I respect you. You know, you have to, you have to give. Or at least... Even if you're completely wrong, mm-hmm. we have something bigger here that's going to be lost if I try to resolve this. Right. You know, we're both going to die on this island. We have mm-hmm. to put that aside for a moment. The other aspect of this is positive threat management. And with this one, I'm talking about the exact opposite here. This is about increasing threat. 
if Chad Wayne, our paladin, and our priest of Bane are fighting each other, and I have somebody come along who says, Aha, mm-hmm. your king is secretly this, and he's been playing both of you, or mm-hmm. you guys are at each other's throat, and then suddenly a monster comes running into the room, or whatever. I mean, I, there's any number of things I can do as a game master. I throw the Bane priest at the monster. <laughs> it maybe it's, it's just and it gives me an advantage. And maybe you do, but it's not like it's going to stop there. No, it's not. And so you, you and that that doesn't play well. In the and I realize either. that having a bugbear suddenly run into the room is a bit heavy-handed. I mean, maybe it's appropriate, but I think as maybe the, it's what you roll in the random encounter. Yeah, the rules are the rules. We're a victim of those yeah. charts. I know we are. We it's, have to. I've got a fear of boats now. Yep, but. <laughs> You can look at it as a game master and say, you know, there are some ways in which I can apply pressure that might be more creative and nuanced than yeah. having a bugbear charge the room. Well, and that I- will remind them that there is some other threat. Because I tell you, nothing unites people like a common enemy. Yeah. And so if I suddenly remind either of these characters or both of them, you guys have a shared goal. You have shared values, maybe limited ones, but they are there. And you have shared enemies who would happily watch you destroy each other. That's who you're helping out Mm -hmm. here. And if I have a way of reminding you of that, whether it's because it turns out that something you guys both care about is threatened, or you guys are both simultaneously threatened directly, or it turns out that you guys have both been victimized and your hatred of each other is just playing into somebody else's hands that you hate a lot more than each other. There's a whole list of things I can Mm -hmm. do here. But as a game master, there are ways that I can turn up the threat level to get you guys back on the same side, at least for a little bit. Well, and that really gets back into that something that Wayne was saying, too, of you have to put things into the history of the conflict when you're making the characters for the Game Master to work with. Not just, you've got an ugly face and I hate you. This is why you have to have interesting characters. This is why, going back to our last episode, you have to play generally in character you have to give the game master hooks you have you don't have to write an entire novel you don't even have to type anything in paragraphs you just have to communicate in some way to the game master what your character is why they're like that and if this conflict is a part of it you have to communicate that to the game master so that the game master can actually start pressing those buttons and manipulating that tension otherwise it's just going to be you screaming at the other player because he has bad hair. And maybe he doesn't have bad hair. Maybe that's just what Bane priests are like. And going back to what you <laughs> talked about last time, if uh, if our backgrounds are your father killed my father, my father killed your father, and then we find our fathers and both of us are like, I don't care about that. <laughs> what a bunch of jerks with bad hair. We're yeah. out. <laughs> that, that doesn't that's work a, either. Yeah, that that's the player's oh, being bad. Like but, all piece of Bane as having I, been costume designed by Tim Burton. <laughs> just outrageously ludicrous hair. Yeah, well, outrageously mm-hmm. ludicrous hair and pointy teeth. and Well, and all the tour worshippers have like that 80s flowing rock band, super long head banging yeah. hair. Yeah. Well, and I think tour? If you resolve the tension, it doesn't go away overnight. No. So these two characters have hated each other for 10 years mm-hmm. and they find out the reason they hated each other is completely false and they've created this friendship. They've still hated each other for 10 years. Yeah. That... The reasoning for it is gone, but oh, they still are going to work alive, for it. And they didn't kill each other, and there was a perfectly good reason they had to abandon us as kids, and now we're reunited and happy. He still is an ugly jerk face. Yeah. yeah. We got some... You still can't cook. Uh, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> oh, 
I can't I can't go on with this episode, Dan. <laughs> Not with him. <laughs> Why is that a plot point in every JRPG that one of the characters can't cook? Have you noticed <laughs> that? Every JRPG, this is a plot point or a major point of dialogue somewhere that one of the major party members cannot cook. I have a th- I have a running theory that anime in anime food features heavily. Like it could be a poorly drawn anime, oh but they'll go into a restaurant and there will be a pornographic, super detailed depiction of food cooking and food eating. My theory is the reason for this is that anime artists and writers are poor as f- and they only eat crap store-bought ramen and this is them fantasizing so as the they do their work that uh food featured so heavily in cartoons right around and right after the great depression yes, yes. that was something i saw as a kid and never, fulfillment. Yep. Yeah, it was something i saw as a kid and never understood until i was an adult i mean i got the archetype of the starving cartoon character outside of a window watching the fat cat figuratively or mm-hmm. literally eating this big meal and they're hungry and starving and ha- you know, I got that. It's not a concept that requires a lot of explaining, but I never understood why it was so prevalent in those cartoons, why the scarcity of food was such a major plot point until I realized that a lot there of it was a scarcity of either. Food. Yeah. was either came from the great depression or was done by people who had well, lived and, through the great depression, and not just the great depression either the, uh, later on with food rationing as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the scarcity of food mm-hmm. was a major part of those people's lives in a way that it never has been a part of mm-hmm. mine. So I go to food because of a, a small gaming story from Sunday, <laughs> our ranger rolled really poorly <laughs> to do her hunting and just comes back with rabbits. And this was like a throwaway. Oh, we're camping. We're doing role playing. We're camping. Oh, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to take down elk. Oh, well, you're this ranger. You're an elf. You were in the woods. It's your favorite terrain. Just just give me a roll. I just, you know, just a ballpark. It's like, boom, two. <laughs> it's just like, oh. who is it that got all bent out of shape when we were playing? Oh, it was Dungeon Crawl Classics. So is that the one where we start with like five characters? It was Pat. Who got, oh, Pat, Pat was an elf that fell out of a, a tree and died. <laughs> and he just could not wrap his head around that. Yeah. That he's like, I'm an elf. Like, this shouldn't have even been a roll. Like, I just, <laughs> yeah. but he rolled, he botched a roll, fell yeah. out of a tree so, and died. So our elf rolls this. And mm-hmm. then myself and another character are like, I'm going to go out hunting too. Yeah. And now, this is a book wizard from the capital who has only ever been in the yeah. woods. Like now, because of the adventure, right? I'm sighting my prey through my familiar and using magic missile to hit it. Oh, guaranteed hit. Exactly. So I come back with two rabbits, and I roll to cook them. And, you know, I typically can't roll anything unless it absolutely does not matter whatsoever. This did not matter at all. I, like, 25 or something for cooking. And I make this wonderful rabbit stew, and her character is pissed off at me for the entire rest of the session has all of this tension because i went and upstaged her and cooked the rabbit the, and the best like is they were with these half orc house irregular types so military half orc yeah, big guys eating food and they like only ate the wizard stew and so there's all this stuff plot and stuff and tension and drama and tension and then the half orc's father is there and he's the commander and it's just like all this tension stuff and then it's just like at the very end of the game it's like yeah all this happened well come on let's go back to camp and eat the second best rabbit stew that's left over right in front (laughs) right she's like what that was a fun level of tension that lasted one session and i don't i don't anticipate that coming back no but like little things like that are always fun to throw in. Well, and what was fun about that is okay. So let let's take 
that example here, because this is a sort of a side non sequitur, but I think we can actually fold it into the topic. Let's take Pat's falling out of a tree. How could that happen? I'm an elf. This shouldn't even be a role. Legit, the person of Pat is angry at this situation because he's the type of person who cannot fail. Yeah. Oh, he was quite he agitated. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was, he was very agitated. I don't know if he was quite angry, but he was certainly oh, agitated. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was non-pulling. And let's take our, our ranger who, I mean, that's her thing. Not just her character, that's her background, right? Is living off the wild and all this sort of stuff. She failed to roll, and it was a funny thing. It like she had her character who was upstaged by a guy who is useless at this sort of thing, right? Made this awesome rabbit stew, and there was this funny tension of her just rump and oh my god, I can't believe it, and really playing it up. And and of course Wayne was like, "Do they? Can you help me skin the rabbits? I don't really know how to do that. No, you know how to do it just fine, and sort of thing. And it was funny." Failure is good. Failure creates tension. Tensions create scenes. They could be funny. They could be dramatic. They could be. I'm not saying you have to fail all the time, but that rolls back into this whole rivalry tension with bite thing. You have to be willing to fail. Think of your character like you're a game master for a moment. A game master runs a dozen, two dozen different NPCs. If we treated our NPCs like some players treat their characters that they can never fail, you will have a seriously bad time at the game because all of our NPCs will never fail. That is called being a bad game master. When you're doing this tension thing, take the dive. Take the fall sometimes. Yeah. Let yeah. them win the argument sometimes. Hurt to be the one who gives up. Because remember, the goal of everyone at the table is the same insofar as you are trying to have a good time with your friend. Good tension is sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Mm -hmm. Bad tension is Chad always wins, I always lose, and now I'm not having fun, but Chad's having a great time. A story is good things happen and bad things happen. A terrible game is good things happen always to one person. Yeah. And Dan, you talk about the golden box and about how a game master has all these different controls in the world and a player only has their character. And I'm going to swing that pendulum the other way and I'm going to say, you're absolutely right. You are the game master of your character, which means just like the regular game master can't have all their NPCs win all the time, every time, always... You cannot have your player, your your character, win all the time always. And I'm not talking dice rolls. I'm just talking social situations. If your character is perfect and wins all the time, just like a game master, and that's a bad game if they have if they're winning all the time, you have a bad character. Yep. And it's boring. I'm sure we've yep. all known at least one person who's always bruising for a fight, mm -hmm. doesn't compromise, doesn't ever walk away, doesn't let anyone else ever have the last word Are you taking in. a list of names off in your head right now? As he's talking? <laughs> I am. I could. Easily. I won't put somebody on blast right. on the show, but I easily I'll keep could. keep it to myself, yeah. and I will admit I've been guilty of that in the past. And these are people you, if you know what you're doing and have lived long enough, you get these people out of your life. These are toxic elements you don't want around. And the same thing's true in a game. I mean, okay, yeah, it's fun to have dysfunctional characters or whatever mm -hmm. to a point right but there does come a point where 
the social dynamic is becoming disruptive to what else is going on. And so you have to look at it that way that, you know, there are times it is better to be successful than it is to be righteous or self-righteous. Mm-hmm. There's times that it's better to be effective than it is to be right. So to close this one out, I want to talk about something that may or may not be possible depending upon the situation, the game. But if it is possible, I think it's a great thing to do. And I'm going to paraphrase a line from a heart song. Who will you run to when it all goes wrong? And in the case of the current Skies of Glass game, I'll tell you right now, there are some things that are brewing. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but I was getting a little concerned that either the players or the players and some major NPCs could have a conflict that becomes rending to the party. Mm -hmm. What do I do if that happens? Because there already is some conflict within the party. I mean, we've had disagreements, very vocal disagreements. We had had, one character drug two of the other characters. We've had one character drug and almost kill two of the other characters. One character is punched. Other characters unconscious. (laughs) In the last game, one character punched. I think I I was right in doing that. In (laughs) another game, another character punched one in the balls. I I think that she was right punching my character. In fact, we've been telling her to do that for yeah, a long time. But It was great. Okay, so the point is, though, and especially now where the game ended, which I won't spoil because I haven't, as of this mm-hmm. recording at least, haven't released it yet. It should be released by the time the show actually drops the, on the feed. Well, and you know the catchphrase of the AP. Yeah. But what will I do if this does become party rending? If the party scatters in multiple directions or implodes it on itself? And I was already thinking about that. And in this case, I have a great out in that there is still the first legs party Mm -hmm. down in Cape Girardeau. Now, of those characters, they're not all in perfect agreement because Brodor's character sort of went off on a side adventure with a leopard, Mm -hmm. one of the other NPCs. Chad, your character has kind of lost himself to this darkness. Yeah. But you're still not an enemy of the party. Oh, absolutely not. And then the, not. the bulk of the party then went to investigate an old military facility that's nearby. So the point is that even that party's not perfectly unified. But I certainly, of whatever fragments come from campaign number two, if this even happens, it's not happened yet, and I'm not going to engineer it happening. But if it happened, I have already thought through that, you know, I do have an escape mechanism in that there are some other pcs waiting in the wings and i can just sit down with the players and be like okay based on the campaign two characters and the campaign one characters how do we pick up enough pieces to put together some kind of a functional vessel again here you know how do we make something workable out of this now that may not be possible in all games or maybe it is possible but it takes on a very different form you know i could say like okay let's say this go back to our paladin and priest thing the paladin and priest finally have it out, and there's just no reconciling that. I could be like, all right, guys, what happens if we get to that? And maybe the answer is as simple as one of you has a backup character you'll switch to. Yeah. And I just NPC the other person, and they become a villain or just disappear into the sunset. It Maybe it's that simple. Or maybe it's something else of, you know, there's some panic button that forces one of you to convert religions or i don't know what (laughs) i I mean i don't even know what it would be torm is the god of justice and fealty but (laughs) and i know chad when he makes a character that is a outlier or something Mm. he usually has a backup character in those situations yeah because chad always wants to do the redemption arc 
Right. That's mm-hmm. something he's strived for in games. He and just he, needs to make a redeemable character. Yeah. <laughs> he typically hasn't, he hasn't been able to reach it. Kills great. <laughs> but yeah, he, that's the problem. <laughs> that right there is the problem. <laughs> yep. So, Bill has failed at the first step of AA. He well, can't admit he has a problem. So I know in Chad's case, if it's a character that you is... imagine Gil going around to all the yeah. people who hate him and asking for forgiveness? <laughs> I've actually thought about how he did that. that. That will be Skazel yeah. campaign three. Right. But yeah, I know Chad has, is ready at any point for his character to either die or mm-hmm. become an NPC off into the sunset and replace if he makes a character that has that type of tension with the party. Yeah, it's just too much. And... I don't think I've ever actually done a get with the GM and say, I want my character to die and this is how I want it to go out in a blaze of glory. But I would do that if my character became disruptive or I would make an NPC and do a new character. I have run several games. I have played several games. I have run bad games and I have run games where the players have been bad. And I've also run really, really good stuff on, on both sides. And that has given me a sort of perspective of I've done quite a bit in gaming and I really what I really enjoy doing now is making other players awesome, really making sure that if I'm getting spotlight, that I'm getting them in the spotlight with me. And in the case of like, you know, the, the Paladin of Torm and the Priest of Bane, if we failed on everything else. We had the the escalation, we had the path of how high we're going to take it, we had, you know, the release valve, and all of these things failed, and it just came to a point to where it's just not going to happen anymore. I would gladly take the fall. In fact, I would even gladly work it out with you on how is my character going to fail? Is it going to be a fight that I'm going to lose? Is it going to be he fails Torm? You know, and he loses his paladinliness. And you know what? While the priest of Bane was evil and a dick the whole time, he was faithful to Bane and he was not right in Bane, but he was right in general. Whereas my paladin was a hypocrite the entire time. Yeah. Awesome role play. You know, yeah. that's great. So I don't know. I, I think I would use the metaphor of my kitchen. I do not walk into my kitchen attempting to make tragedy happen (laughs) but i still have a fire extinguisher right there are a lot of precautions i take when i'm in the kitchen for example i do not wash dishes while my hand is rusty on the electric socket (laughs) i do not pre-grease the burners before cooking something (laughs) right there are things that (laughs) yeah exactly it's nonsense right but there are points (laughs) but the point is there are things that i do to create some safety and some boundaries Mm -hmm. to what i'm doing but in case it all still goes wrong, I do have a fire extinguisher and home insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. that's what I'm suggesting here is it may not always be possible. And it may be hard to plan out or it may even be a plan that requires revisiting as the game develops because it's possible an escape hatch that you created at the outset just doesn't work anymore for some reason. But I think if you're going to really do this and especially if you've got any degree of unknown here, it may be helpful to have a final escape hatch. For what do you do when this just really all falls apart and there's no place else to make it go or to fix it? It's just screwed. How do we keep this from destroying the game? Because I will tell you right now, this only happened to me a couple of times, but it's it doesn't have to happen a lot because nothing gets my goat more as a game master than two players coming to me, and this has happened. And saying you need to end your game because our characters can't get along. Oh, f- oh those no. people! And no, this has no. happened to me even 
not like within the no. past six months, but this is happening within the past couple of years, oh, even relatively recently. No. And so you guys, I mean, you know, if you're going to do this, why should you in the game for everybody? Because two people failed so yeah. miserably. Um, so anyways, cool. I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. Don't think there's going to be anything in the show notes. So just have a great Destiny week. 2 clan. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. I'll link that again. Yeah. Destiny 2 clan, if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. And other than that, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. Later. This has been a production of Fear the Boot. Copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.